All right, George, here okay. we go. Great. Feel pumped? Feel good? Pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. All right. <laughs> That's some, we're not going to put this in? This is just us getting ready. Everybody listening, we're not going to put this in the podcast. This is me warming up yeah. my voice. Edit right over this. Hey, Meatballs! Welcome to another edition of Worst Scene, Best Scene. It's a podcast where we watch two movies. A good one and a not-so-good one. And we look at the uh, worst scene in the good one and the best scene in the not-so-good one. I am one of your co-hosts, George, and alongside me is... Richard. He's also another one of your co-hosts. Uh, there are several others, but they are ghosts. It's uh, Star Wars month here at Worst Scene, so we decided to start at the beginning, as one often does, uh, with Star Wars, created and directed by Mr. George Lucas, uh, Sir George Lucas, uh, for all of his work with the Beatles. <laughs> is he actually knighted? I don't care. Um, I'm sure he is. <laughs> uh, released in 1977, Star Wars was originally viewed as a B-picture by 20th Century Fox. Uh, that's a movie studio to you and me. Uh, the movie would go on to break all previous box office records. It, it made over $200 million in its initial run. And that's 1977 money, mind you. And I say initial run because it was re-released in 1978, 1979, 1981, and 1982. Now, this isn't counting the 1997 special edition, which we really shouldn't mention here at the uh, as the special edition is not a good movie. Star Wars should not have been a success as there was so much working against it. And almost every step of the way, the studio and the British crew working on set were against Lucas. Crew members in London thought Star Wars was just a kiddie movie and didn't take the work seriously. Even the elements seemed to be against Star Wars. A rare Tunisian rainstorm disrupted filming the uh, Tatooine scenes. Oh yeah, Lucas also had to form his own special effects company as 20th Century Fox had dismantled their own in-house department. This new effects company, Industrial Light and Magic, actually had to invent new special effects tricks uh, to pull off what Lucas asked for in the screenplay. It's a miracle that the film was even released or even completed, actually. During pre-production, Lucas was able to leverage the success of American Graffiti to renegotiate his deal, adding sequel rights and most of the merchandising rights. This latter kicker would make Lucas, in his own words, rich as shit. Though the one-two punch of Jaws and Star Wars marked the beginning of the box office-driven blockbuster era, an era we're still trapped in, Star Wars success truly is a testament to Lucas's faith in himself and the grand new worlds he created. So, with that brief opening, uh, I'm gonna throw it to you, Richard, to uh, talk to us a little bit about your, what your uh, least favorite scene in Star Wars is. Thank you, George. I appreciate that. I like having the microphone thrown to me. I like to talk. Anytime. So Star Wars is a major movie in my life, as it is for many nerds, dorks, geeks, the assortment. It is a movie that after The Empire Strikes Back, I've probably seen more than any other movie that I've ever watched. So choosing a worse scene for this for Star Wars, which I can literally see every scene in my head. Right. I know every scene backwards and forwards. Choosing a worst scene is hard. I think it's going to be harder for this one than Empire. Interesting. And definitely than Return of the Jedi, which I have plenty of worse scenes for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but I really struggled to find a scene that felt like it didn't belong, mm -hmm. that it was weak. Mm -hmm. Star Wars, more than maybe any other blockbuster, at least of its era, before, I mean, blockbusters were really started, as you noted, by Jaws and Star Wars, really shows the power of both editing and music, as well as sound design. And the editing and music and sound design are so good that they carry almost everything you see in the movie. If you were to remove John Williams' score mm -hmm. from Star Wars, you would no longer feel any emotion at all. It would, it's a fairly flatly acted film. Sure. It's not poorly acted. It's just no. not, there's just, you're not feeling a lot of emotional range. But the music just hits you. Every scene has mm -hmm. an incredible song behind it. that tells you how to feel while you're watching it. And because of that, and because I love the soundtrack as well, mm -hmm. almost nothing stands out as poor. So I've thought through it. The first things I thought about watching it again for the probably hundredth time were the early scenes with Luke, with his Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. Because uh -huh. that's when Mark Hamill's acting is at its worst. When he's being a petulant teenager, not something he was great at, or at least not directed well in doing. Sure. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Uh, even with his throwing the occasional fit, these scenes that these things happened in were really key to the story and to the plot. Yeah. And actually telling this, telling us what's going to happen, what makes it set up the universe, set up the world in a way that the movie would not be as good without. So I couldn't choose any of those scenes. After you, after you get away from, from Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen, there's almost nothing weak on Tatooine. All the scenes with Obi-Wan are great as far as I'm concerned. All the scenes in Mos Eisley are great. Mm -hmm. uh, everything that's happening outside of Tatooine on the Death Star, uh, those fantastic scenes. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't choose anything there. So it really became more about one particular scene that the only scene that bores me and that I, I'm looking forward to having it end. Okay. And that is when they land in the trash compactor. Oh. And it's not, when it starts to end and you have this frenzied moment with C-3PO uh, trying to get R2-D2 to shut down the trash compactor. Are you there, sir? 3PO? We've had some problems. Will you that's great and when they go into it and they're having this shootout in the hallway that's great right. but the whole thing with mark hamill being pulled underwater by some sort of weird garbage creature mm -hmm. i just want that to end when I watch it. I'm looking forward to the next thing that's happening. And it's, for me, maybe in the entire movie, it's the least essential thing that happens. It's unnecessary. Yeah. It still shows that we're in this weird universe where there <laughs> are crazy creatures that yeah. live in the trash inside of a completely man-made right. moon. <laughs> right, right. That somehow that is on board, much like rats get on board of ships yeah. on Earth and travel to every continent. But 
that is the only thing that I'm like, hurry up, let's get past these three minutes of you doing this so we can get out and run around on the Death Star. So Luke getting pulled underwater by an unnecessary garbage monster is my least, that's the worst scene as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, somehow I have a weird story. Um, my dad had a friend who, whose wife was actually one of the Jawas. They had to reshoot some scenes in Death Valley uh, when they really were running out of budget. So they weren't going to fly around back to Tunisia. They had locals and she was very short. So she got to play a Jawa, which when I was a little kid, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. But um, her son was had grown out of toys. And so we got this whole horde of Star Wars toys. And the weirdest Star Wars toy was the garbage creature, the trash compactor creature. Because it's just like this weird bright green rubber thing with a weird eyeball that I'm I'm fairly certain is not the way that it was designed by Ralph McQuarrie or whoever did the thing. God damn it, I sound like a nerd. Uh, so please, George, so yeah, go for it. Okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna ramble a wee bit as I do. Um, so I alluded I alluded to this earlier. Unless you're gonna hunt down the despecialized version of Star Wars or the laserdisc versions, which also appear on some of the DVDs, uh, I don't know that I could recommend the special edition version of Star Wars. I I mean. The special edition, every single thing that's added by it weakens yeah. the movie in yes. some way. All just, the stuff in Moss Eisley with all the fucking dobacks and like the weird other creatures are just like, it's like a, I don't know, I, I can't even explain it. It's just crap. Yeah, I agree. And the job of the hut scene in the, in the yeah. special edition. Yeah. I mean, all somebody did was take Harrison Ford and lift his body up as he steps right. on this. It's a terrible looking special effect. Uh, that they added to it. And I watched the despecialized editions mm -hmm. of Star Wars uh, for this, so I don't really, and I, that's what I've been watching for a while, so I don't really think about the special editions anymore. Uh -huh. But if you just take the special editions, choosing a bad scene is easy. Pretty easy. Anything from the what they added. Anything with computer graphics is probably bad. Yeah, I mean these, I guess the dog fighting is a little bit cooler looking at the Death Star, but that's mm -hmm. not necessary because the dog fights are already cool looking already without really cool, that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to try to get you mad and say, well, we're seen as the dogfight at the end of the movie. That's a... <laughs> wow. Oh, my um, God. Which is totally exciting. And um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. This is very much like uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, yeah. where all the scenes are, are necessary to some extent. They all stack well. It all works. Um, I was reading about how there's uh, the initial cut had a bunch of different storylines and things. It was supposed to be quite boring and... That's so weird to me that there's another version of Star Wars that isn't this. This it is um, weird, and you know, there's a kind of a theory that the George Lucas's quality goes down after Empire Strikes Back because he gets divorced mm. from Marsha Lucas, right. uh, a very talented editor mm -hmm. who edited uh, sometimes without credit Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, uh, one of the greatest editors of her era which was like the late 70s because she worked for scorsese on some stuff yeah. and she's very very talented yeah yeah um possibly a better dead-on technical filmmaker than george lucas we we'll probably let's just cut that out <laughs> uh no i'll, I'll, I'll go back yeah, there's no that. reason to cut that out i i would say she's better at what she does than george is at what he does yeah i mean unless you count what he does to be I mean, he's a great idea man. Yeah, we have Star sure. Wars and Indiana Jones from sure. George Lucas. He's a great businessman. Yes, but on a, as a director, he's yeah. 
And it's something he realized because after he directed Star Wars, he's like, I'm not going to direct again. Right. Until later, as we'll talk about later. And so, but, uh, <laughs> but and I think that he's only got one, as a director, he's only got one thing you can look at and say, that's a great director. And it's probably American Graffiti, I, I think. But a lot of that also is the editing, the writing, and that cast. It's, it's, it's an amazing film. But we're not talking about that yet. No. Do that sometime next summer. Yeah, it's really that's really driven by the script more than anything else. Yeah, and it's yeah. full, and as you said, an amazing cast, which doesn't need as much direction, right? As right. a not amazing cast, would right? Need. Right. I'll also say this: that um, Star Wars is the first movie I remember seeing. It was probably the first time it was broadcast on TV. I'm guessing '79, somewhere in there, um, when I was like one. And, but I remember clearly the characters, the look, the feel. Just I had an idea what it was like to be on a spaceship when I was a little little like infant. So I was completely entranced by Star Wars. I should also note that some people call this film Star Wars Four, or Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. They're wrong. The movie's called Star Wars. So it was really hard for me as well to pick out an entire scene that I didn't like. There are little moments that I don't like. There's a there's a Luke acting thing. I don't know that it's Mark Hamill's fault, but right after Ben dies, they're back on the Falcon, and Luke is so crestfallen, he's so bummed out. It's like the depths of his depression. Can't believe he's gone. There wasn't anything you could have done. And then, um, like a minute later, he's like, he's just blasting a TIE fighter, and then Han Solo says this. I got him! You know, so it's just like that's a quick turnaround. And I know that it's not so much the performance. It's actually not the performance. It's more that the script dictates we have to get to this point emotionally. We have to get to this point story-wise. Let's just condense the grief and we'll condense the um, excitement. And huzzah, we've got it done. So that's a little weird. That was a re-watching that. It really stuck out. Um, and it hadn't before. So... But ultimately, I understand why it's there. Also, when, when Han is leaving and he says, Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. I, I don't know. It's, I get it. He's kind of ashamed. and, But Han Solo wouldn't say, May the force be with you. At least not that easily. I don't know. Oh, I disagree with you. I think, okay. I think that's our whole uh, hooker with a heart of gold. Yeah, that okay. that Han Classic. is Han is playing, that you're seeing that he does care. He's even though he was a real asshole right. earlier to Luke. They've right. gone through this stuff. Like you know what, I'm leaving, but I hope you I hope you pull it off. Well, if you let me finish my fucking sentence, I <laughs> know, uh, I know. I, I actually I do agree with you, and um, it's necessary. I I just it's like oh it's okay, but it is absolutely necessary. You can't have that. Uh, you can't remove that and still feel the same way as you do about Han Solo. Han Solo does not become the most popular character in Star Wars after Jar Jar Binks uh, without that line. That's right. That's true. That's, That's true. right. I've got all the facts here. And then also Princess Leia, uh, early going in the, in the, in the movie, um, drops in and out of like this kind of Madonna Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> British accent. I'm wondering, very interesting. Like, is that maybe that that's near the end of filming when they've been living, you know, living in Elstree Studios for, um, you know, 14 weeks or whatever it was. Whatever, that's fine. Let's uh, let's take a listen to some of that. Governor Tarkin, I should have expected to find you holding Vader's leash. I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. 
so yeah, these are just moments. So I haven't answered the question. No, and, so, and, and before we go to that, so yeah. just listen to some of Carrie Fisher's British accent. Yeah. One a very cool story from Carrie Fisher is that <laughs> is that Peter Cushing smelled so good mm-hmm. and was such a regal British actor that it was difficult to even say that line to him yeah. because he was wonderful. Yeah, I will get down to it. I'm going to answer this question right now, and and I I I I talked to my brother about these things because he. He listens and he will be a future guest. He gave me his take on this. And what's interesting is that it was in line with what I was thinking, but I picked the uh, the the award ceremony scene at the end of the film. It's a real easy pick. It's a really easy pick because it's the one scene that really stands apart from the rest of the movie. It feels separate, it feels tacked on. You know, as much as I've talked about George Lucas's faith in his vision and this film, it is really hedging your bets. It's like, you can't end on a, on a cliffhanger if you know that you might get canceled. So it's nice that you're able to wrap it up for the, you know, maybe the 10 people who like the thing. It feels forced, uh, no pun intended, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, all right, Darth Vader isn't dead. There's still an emperor guy. You just blow up a lot of dudes, not all of the dudes. So why are you taking a break to get on all your formal clothes and do a ceremony thing? And also how do you score medals at a t- in a time of war? I guess you you have them already, uh, or like you have somebody on staff who's like the official rebel trophy maker, you know? I'm sure that even in times of war, there's always going to be time for a chili cook-off, um, to quote an award that I've won, uh, from Richard, actually. Oh, yes, you did win an award from me. <laughs> best uh, chili in the world, this guy. <laughs> but yeah, so it just... I don't know. It's it's definitely a one and done. We may never come back here. So let's do the big wrap up with a bow. My brother's problem with this scene is that Chewbacca doesn't get a trophy. Chewbacca doesn't get an award. It's just kind of like, what? What the fuck is wrong with you prejudiced rebel assholes? Like Chewbacca is not good enough. Chewbacca is not a person. What? I I don't know. I feel like he should have ripped somebody's arms off and then taken the medal for himself. That's that's my take on that. It's interesting that you bring up that scene because even though we didn't talk about it, mm-hmm. that was my other potential scene. Was and it was because Chewbacca doesn't get a medal, oh. and it's because it does feel a little tacked on, and it feels a little tacked on because you are hedging your bets. There was a lot of expectation this movie wouldn't make a lot of money, right? Right. And George Lucas went to Hawaii, yeah, after it came <laughs> out and when it was being released, expecting it to make no money, and Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg expected it to do really well, and they made a bet that. Spielberg bet it would it would break records, and Lucas expected it to just flop, and they bet each other a point on, I forget exactly how what Spielberg was promising a point from. It might have been Jaws. Spielberg got a point in Star Wars because he bet it would do well, and it did, mm-hmm. and so Spielberg makes a lot of money right. off of Star Wars. People uh, on the cast who actually had faith in the movie, which you wouldn't expect to be the person, Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, negotiated something where he took less money to get like two percent of one of lucas's points or something like that i'm not so good at math or yeah, uh, yeah alec guinness, guinness. Yeah. he he was apparently a very very nice man on mm-hmm. set he tutored all the other actors right. who were not being george lucas for was very stressed out for a lot of reasons which i think affected his directing in this huge budget mm-hmm crazy set movie and i appreciate that alec guinness really gave it his all yeah 
he could have easily just mailed that shit in. Yeah. He got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for yes. Star Wars because he did an amazing job. It's like, I'm going to do a good job at this. You're going to pay me a lot of money. I'm going to yeah. do great. And that's yeah. that's just what I'm going to do. Also, there's a story that um, Mark Hamill and you know, his big brother, um, Harrison Ford, would fuck around on the set uh, on any of the days that Alec Guinness was not on set. But when he was on set, they were not fucking around. They were dead serious because... Who doesn't want to impress Alec Guinness? Yeah. I still do. Yeah. I hope he's why I bought his bones. But going back to one of the reasons I didn't choose the last scene mm -hmm. is because, you know, I, I alluded to this a bit early on. The music right. in that last scene is incredible. <laughs> Star Wars, as well as The Empire Strikes Back, these two movies probably have the greatest scores of all time, mm -hmm. thanks to the work of John Williams, who also scored Jaws yeah. and has won more Oscars for musical scores than any other composer. Right. I mean, imagine Jaws without that music that he yeah. wrote for it. It's, it's just, just like a bunch of shit floating around and waiting. Yeah, it's just some really dark footage of some water. Yeah. That's not yeah. scary. I'm not scared. The music can only do so much. The movie is very good without the music. The visuals are all there. The characters are there. They're very well cast. But the music just completes just completes it. Yeah. Just takes it that next step to make it into one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. I, that music is just, it's incredible. It really reminds me of whatever that guy's name who did Superman. Because like that Superman score, like, uh, uh, Superman, you know, it just yells Superman. Yeah, who did that again? It's so weird. Know. But it's very similar scores. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I think we've wrapped up Star Wars quite nicely. So that means we're now going to the movie that is our second movie, our bad movie of this podcast, and that is The Phantom Menace is a lesson in what happens to someone when they become so successful and so rich that there's still there's no longer anyone around them to tell them no. Mm -hmm. The Phantom Menace feels like a movie that was written off one draft of a script with no rewrites with George Lucas, I think probably would have been willing to change things if someone would say change this, but just based upon behind the scenes footage that I've heard from the producer and just the way people talk about the making of the Phantom Menace, no one was willing to tell him no. He ran a huge business. He's a very successful man. He created Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Whatever he writes must be good, even if I think that it's not. Which, unfortunately, is not the case because The Phantom Menace, as well as the other movies in the prequel trilogy, are barely even movies at all. There's no way that The Phantom Menace was not connected to Star Wars that it would have led to two more movies or would have made any money. George Lucas, after The Phantom Menace came out and was critically panned, is very well known for saying that the critics have never liked my movies, which is absolute, utter bullshit. The critics <laughs> loved his movies. Star Wars got nominated for fucking Best Picture. Yeah. That's a movie that's well-liked by critics. It won six Oscars. And won six Oscars. That movie is not disliked by critics. American Graffiti, loved by critics. Mm -hmm. Empire Strikes Back, loved by critics. THX 1138, a highly respected student film that made people think this is a man who's going to do great things. Right. And he is. So the notion that critics hate his movies was a dumb thing to say. Maybe they're thinking of Howard the Duck. 
Maybe. He's saying they don't like Howard the Duck, which is true because it's Howard the Duck. They don't like Howard the Duck as is true of all people on, on this planet. But he wanted to kind of cover, he started talking about Phantom Menace as a children's movie and that adults don't understand it. And it made fans angry because they just weren't kids anymore. And there, while there may be some fair criticism in some of that, it's simply not true that it's just because nobody was young anymore watching Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace is a terrible movie that made a ton of money. And I could talk a lot about behind the scenes stuff there. Mm-hmm. But I instead will talk a bit about my own experience with The Phantom Menace. And I was so excited for this movie. I could not wait to see it. You know, this was a time when a trailer would come out. They could only see it on TV mm-hmm. or on or at the at a theater. The trailer was looked like the movie was going to be amazing. It was going to be fantastic. And then the movie came out. And the initial critical thoughts that I heard on TV that day were not that strong. And then I went to see it and I sat down. And then you have the opening blast of music. You had the opening crawl. As I read the crawl, like this doesn't read right. I was remembering the critics saying it wasn't very good on TV earlier that day. And then as soon as the crawl went away, some racist Chinese caricature aliens came on screen and talked for five minutes. With all due respect, the ambassadors for the Supreme Chancellor wish to board immediately. Yes, of course. As you know, our blockade is perfectly legal and we'd be happy to receive the ambassadors. And I thought to myself at that moment, oh no, (laughs) this, oh no. And for most of the rest of the movie, my thought process was, oh no, oh, this, I wanted it to be good so badly. I was waiting for it to get good and it never did. And I felt when the movie ended, a full theater, full of people who were excited for this and wanted it to be great and couldn't wait to watch it, when the credits came on with this beautiful blast of John Williams music, mm-hmm. the theater was silent in a way mm. where you could tell people were just confused and sad. And then one of my friends who was sitting next to me, she started applauding. Mm. And then people, some people clapped along. We were all just too stunned to even think about it. And I walked outside and it's like, this was awful. There was no attempt by me to think, well, maybe it was good. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm just not giving it enough credit. I was definitely giving it enough credit. It was a very <laughs> bad movie. One of the worst movies I had ever seen. Uh, and full of racist caricatures. <laughs> full of them, yeah. uh, unfortunately, which Star Wars is not full of the original trilogy uh, or even has any. But this one, it's like George can only think of how could I create an alien? It's by thinking of the uh, of horrible stereotypes about other races. That's how I can create an alien. Good, I'm done. So Phantom Menace made a lot of money, was panned by the critics, and rightly so. Uh, not too much more to say than that. George, sure. tell me about your favorite scene in this in this movie. Well, I think I'm going to ramble a little bit before, beforehand, as I, as I do, because we've had some eerily similar experiences here. 
uh, much like the thing with the ghosts. Um, more on that later. Or will there be? I, I want to talk about my viewing. You saw it opening night, I take it, right? I did. Okay. Me too. So I remember feeling really weird. I was excited, but I also felt like I didn't belong. Like I like I shouldn't be here. Like, like this shouldn't even be happening. Um, we already had our Star Wars. We already had uh, a good end. Like, you know, yub yub and all that with the Ewoks. And what say that, you know? And so that's great. So I, it was like... We're done. Why is there another Star Wars? It's weird. It felt weird. I was apprehensive, but I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I, um, you know, this, I'm thinking all this, like, even before we get to the theater, I was like, ah, oh, Phantom Menace. That seems like a weird name. Yeah, this I'm doesn't not, sound right. I don't think I like that. It was just kind of like, um, it was like, like, uh, Star Wars, purple cloak. It's like, <laughs> ugh, that's, that's, it just has that same kind of feel where it's just, that seems cheap. Yeah, you know? something's not um, right. So, and also I'll say this about myself. I don't like new things. I'm good with things that I already have. Okay, this is a lie because I buy a lot of shit online. But hey, I'm good with the experiences I've had. Uh, you know, after I saw the first season of Stranger Things, I thought, well, I certainly hope they never make another season because I'm good. This is fine. Please don't fuck this up. That's that tends to be where I come from most of the time, not all the time. Again, nothing is definite in my life, uh, other than the fact that someday, someday I will have to shave this mustache. Also, speaking of, I have seen the second season of Stranger Stranger Things, and you have not, and it's very very good. Okay, okay. Well, so all right, so the movie starts, and uh, I'll go into my thoughts on what happened during it. Uh, later on in the third hour of our broadcast. Uh, but I want to say this is when it ended and that amazing music comes about. I want to say that the one unimpeachable thing about The Phantom Menace is the score. It's great. It's maybe the third best score of the series. Something about like the chanting. That's It, it was a twist on it that felt both modern and foreign and classical and... Um, it took a step away from the original trilogy, actually, sorry, the trilogy, and it didn't feel unwelcome, unlike Jar Jar Binks. Mr. called Jar Jar Binks. Mr. your humble servant. That won't be necessary. Oh, but it is. Or literally 90% of the characters in The Phantom Menace. Uh, so I think in that, it's the best thing about the movie. Oh yeah, the score is the best thing. I would disagree. I would say it's the fourth best score, I, the Force Awakens score. Uh, is is very good. Okay, I don't think I've actually listened to it on compact disc yet. It is. It is. It's excellent, and it's a bit better than I think. The Phantom Menace score. It just suffers because John Williams can only work with what he's got in front of him, mm -hmm. and there's only so much he can do to make this movie better well, through well, music. Well, fuck. There's uh, my John Williams person. Well, fuck. Uh, I'll put some fucking chanting on this thing, and uh, I'll fucking sing it. I'll, I'll work out real well. I'm John Williams. That sounds just like him. <laughs> um, Waitress. Um, okay. So this is what happens. I go see the movie, and then, yeah, the same thing. Uh, Lucasfilm comes up, the, the, all the, the drums and the uh, long and ball. It's great. Everyone's cheering. It's weird. I've got, like, goose flesh and all that. and just. But at the same time, I want to leave. I want to leave before... Um, Galaxy Far, Far Away goes off the screen. 
So when, when the credits roll, I turn to my friends and I say, I need vodka. I need a lot of vodka. And then I got up and left the theater and smoked a cigarette and waited for them to get back because they were my ride so that we can go drive somewhere and get a lot of vodka, which we did. And um, one of my friends was really trying to convince us, like, no, it wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. And all through the film, I had that same thing you did. Like, maybe it'll, even up to the goddamn end of it, you're thinking, like, maybe. And you're willing it. It's almost like you're trying some Jedi mind trick to, like, make this make more sense, make this uh, not be boring and sucky. Like, sucky is the word I'm using, and I'm sticking with it. Uh, so anyway, I didn't understand what happened, and I was pretty sure it was terrible. And uh, we're not going to rip this apart. We're not going to go scene by scene why this is bad. You want that. There's a, what's it called? The red. I got the red letter media reviews. Red letter media. Yeah, that's all you need. If you want to go piece by piece through this entire thing and spend like five hours watching someone rip it to shreds. So, yeah, and I, I'm with you too. Like, like two minutes, 14 into it, there's like a real racist Chinese thing. And then it gets worse. It gets worse. The the Gungans, like Gunga Din, like, right? Like the real Jesus. caricature kind of thing, you know? Um, so it's, oh, it's bad. There were other things that I hadn't picked up on watching it again. And uh, it's kind of like out of the corner of my eye, you're seeing some weird racist caricature. And just, it's just weird. It's just weird. Boy, and not fun. Not fun. That's not fun. Not fun. Not fun. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The, the movie's not made for me, so that's fine. Yeah, so, it's not really made for anyone. So we'll get down to it. Um, the obvious choice for best scene in the movie, the one that when I talk to people about this, I go up to people on the street and say, hey, what's the best scene in Phantom Menace? And they say, well, obviously the lightsaber fight. The big lightsaber fight with um, uh, 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 Qigong and um, uh, the guy from Trainspotting and then uh, the uh, Kung Fu guy. So this is going well because I know all their names and I have them written down here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not a bad lightsaber fight. It's it's certainly better than I think Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in the first Star Wars. It's dynamic. It's maybe shot better because it's not in a really tightly built, like they really built those hallways very narrow on that Star Wars set. Yeah, and it goes on, it's interspersed. It's like really very much like Return of the Jedi, the best uh, lightsaber fight. No, maybe. You know, I'm not definitive about anything. Again, Empire Strikes Back is the best lightsaber probably, fight. Probably, probably, but you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll take a vote. Okay. Well, so there are things that I really love about the lightsaber fight. Um, my favorite thing might be when the uh, force field laser doors close down. That that idea there, like closing on a time lock, and when uh, uh, Qigong uh, sits down, and you know it's a very meditative meditative uh, moment. But I feel like yes, I understand that one of the touchstones of the Jedi were samurai warriors, but like using actual samurai moves and actual martial arts moves, just kind of. It's too obvious. I mean, it's obvious. It's not too obvious. It is totally obvious. Also, as great as some of that fight is, it's a really unsatisfying conclusion. Like you just you chop like the the most interesting character outside of John Williams' score <laughs> in half, and then you're done with him. Plus, he's voiced by Peter Serafinowicz, who's great. Yeah. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. And so that's it. I kept thinking like, well, maybe 
he'll come back with like a robot body. Not that that's any fucking better. Um, but it's like, why create this kind of cool character? And, you know, having the bow staff lightsaber is way cooler than whatever that weird one is in Star Wars 6. What's that thing? That the oh the one that's more like a yeah it's more like a like, like a medieval sword yeah that's dumb I that's if I was to pick one thing that I hated about Star Trek six <laughs> it would be <laughs> uh, definitely not the Romulan ale um, but it's just there's something about there's just something about the fight that that leaves me cold much like the preceding two hours of this movie. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just, it's not satisfying. It ends, it's like fairly perfunctory ending. And um, it's it, it doesn't have the emotional stakes that the fight in Empire or Return of the Jedi has. Or even Star Wars. Right, sure, fine. Which is, of the Star Wars trilogy, the lowest stakes because yeah you care about this old man and all that but and he's the best actor on screen but it's not the same so i couldn't pick that <laughs> all that for nothing um i also thought like there's another thing i picked up on on the, the my newest viewing um and it was maybe the first scene uh the reintroduction of c-3po i am c-3po R2-D2, a pleasure to meet you. Okay, so half of that scene is terrible because the acting is stilted. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about Jake Lloyd. I think he's actually pretty adorable. You know, he's a kid. He's not really an actor. He's just, boy, if you Google this movie, the photo they're showing for him is his mugshot. Oh, man. Which sucks. He deserves better than that. Also, people who bullied him for this movie are fucking assholes. Oh, say absolutely. Say what you will about this movie, but bullying Jake Lloyd, bully George Lucas. You punch yeah. up. Punch up, you assholes. I, C-3PO, next to Han Solo, is my favorite character. I think C-3PO is the one that I identify with the most. So, like, hearing Anthony Daniels uh, for the first time in over a decade was a thrill. That was fun. But it's not a good scene, so I didn't pick it. So, all right. Here, get ready to get right, upset. Here we, here we go. I think you might have taken a glance at this. So I my pick, My pick for what I think the best scene in Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. I'm not going to say episode one. That's stupid. Uh, it's the opening crawl. Wow, that's... <laughs> now, <laughs> now, first I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to explain to you why I picked this, if oh it isn't a apparent. Uh, turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with the blockade of deadly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Guardians of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict, dot, dot, dot. So, the reason I picked this <laughs> is that it really establishes the tone of what you're about to see. It really, <laughs> really, maybe more than any of the other movies tells you this is going to be dull and it's going to fucking suck. This is gonna be painful. This is going to be boring. 
uh, and it's not going to be particularly written well. So it's perfect. <laughs> it captures the movie. It is well. absolutely. You want the movie? Boom, right there. There you go. There you there's go, your, asshole. There's your, there's your, if you want to do this movie in a shot, right there. The opening crawl, um, all of those magical, weird things. You know, the first one, in the, apparently Brian De Palma rewrote that because he's like, George, this doesn't make any sense to people who are reading. And this one, I remember sitting in the theater and here are my thoughts. Taxation? Trade Federation? What the fuck is this? No, really. And then I thought, well, maybe it's going to be a whole thing about, uh, you know, like courtroom or boardroom discussions about, you know, what, uh, like tariffs and um, trade routes and uh, zoning and, you know, really like, like the C-SPAN of science fiction, you know, that kind of thing. Or even a John Grisham of science fiction, who was very popular back in 1999. True. Um, uh, sadly, it was neither of these things. It was just kind of a bloodless semi-remake of all three of the original trilogy because it really has touchstones from all of them. There, there is definitely some fanboy service. Deny it if you want, but it's there. They're giving you stuff. Oh, maybe it's just that they're giving it to you in such a fucking stupid and bloodless, bloodless way. Like just really bland. Bland. That's it. Bland. So bland. yeah. Um, so I remember that that was the moment in the theater when I thought something's wrong. <laughs> it's so funny that you said all that because I was like, oh, that's exactly what I've got here in my notes. And that's exactly what I've got in like one of one of the last clear memories in my head. I really did. I did say some of this out loud in the theater. Like, what is this? Is this going to be a courtroom drama? I asked my friend and he started laughing. And then I said, once the um, horrible Chinese aliens appeared, I said, no, really. Maybe it should be. <laughs> it's uh, not technically a good scene. It's not good writing. It's um, easily the worst of the opening crawls. Yeah, but it's it it's it's definitely the. It does its job. It gets you right in the mood. If you take that, it's like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, all it's missing is like embargoes and. Uh, you know, garnished wages of employees and, you know, just all of that fun stuff. Let's have a divorce lawyer write our opening crawl. Let's do that. And maybe, maybe even some like uh, shipping magnates, you know, it'll be great. It'll be great. There it is. That's my pick. I don't feel good going out on a limb for that. I want to say that, but at the same time, I also don't give a shit. This is the Phantom Menace and that's as good as it gets, folks. It is the Phantom Menace. <laughs> the second worst of the prequels. Mm. I almost chose as my best scene, the ending credits. <laughs> you can just focus on the music and leave. Right. But I didn't. This movie, man, now that you've been talking about it for a while, this really brings me down. Something that you pointed out is that the movie's not fun. There's no. nothing fun. The Star Wars trilogy is fun. The movies are light. They're funny. They are entertaining. They don't try to wrap you up in plot. The mm -hmm. plots are very mm -hmm. A, B, C, D. Yeah. And that works very well. You're allowed to fill in the gaps yourself. Yeah. And that has, people have really filled in those gaps. And then George Lucas decided to try to fill in some of those gaps himself and failed miserably. Uh, picking a best scene from this movie is very hard. You mentioned the 
what most of you would choose is the ending lightsaber mm -hmm. duel. And it does have the best song. But that is a fight that is so pointless. Yeah. And it happens in some weird platform zone that makes no sense, just off to the side of a hangar. Mm -hmm. And it just goes on for a long time, and people get kicked and fall really far yeah. and then get up. And the Jedi in this fight, you know, the Jedi are mythic. In the Star Wars trilogy, their powers are who knows what. Who knows what Yoda could do mm -hmm. if he wasn't old? Who knows what Obi Wan could do when he was young? Apparently, all they could fucking do was swing their lightsaber at things. It's very but disappointing. They, they could jump fast. They could jump fast, except when they somehow except, except when the plot needed them oh. not to jump fast. They could also run super fast, except when there's some sort of shield doors that close and open, then suddenly Obi-Wan Kenobi can't run fast mm -hmm. anymore. You just run at regular rate. Now, the reason I like that is that I saw it as normal Jedi, what I knew, you know, like, yeah, and not this newfangled, like, everything, all rules apply and don't apply bullshit. Yeah, Sorry. depending on the situation. Did, don't mean to cut in on you. But. Yeah, no, that you should cut in on me. That's good. So I hate that lightsaber duel. I would call it, it's the best, it is the best lightsaber duel of the prequels. And it's after that, it's worse than a duel in The Force Awakens. I consider it worse. You know, it's not really a duel that Obi-Wan and Darth Vader have. They just kind of wave their lightsabers at each no. other. But there's some emotional. Yeah, there's some emotional backstory being filled in there with that. You're learning a lot about Darth Vader mm -hmm. and about the entire history of this conflict just yeah. from them talking while they're fighting. Yeah, there's all that shit talking. That's nice. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. And the fighting in the original trilogy is much more like a medieval sort of sword swinging versus an attempt to kind of poorly do something again that like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon right. does really well to do right. a much more balletic kung fu mm -hmm. that I don't think Star Wars does well. No. Uh, so I just, I hate that lightsaber. Duel. Yeah. And like Ray Park is a trained martial artist and he's a great mover. Yeah. He looks good. Liam Neeson is not a trained martial <laughs> no, artist. He sure isn't. And he would be much better in the old school, um, much more like his ancestors, like fighting, fighting with a claymore, kind of like that, that yeah. heavy duty swinging lightsaber shit. That's one thing that I think is interesting when you mentioned the design of the lightsaber in Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. I think it was almost a call out right. from J.J. Abrams that we're going right. back to the old style yeah. of lightsaber fighting. But, you know, again, I think that much like the really, really aggressively, overly uh, martial arts style of the prequels, it's just too obvious too much yeah i i agree with you so i couldn't choose that scene because it's not a good scene why would i choose a bad scene for the best scene Ooh. can't do that well, although i, I did could. have to <laughs> though i did have to in the end because there's no good scene in this movie so what i chose as you mentioned and i'm going to come back to it again there's no there's nothing fun about this movie mm -hmm. it's just not fun however there's one scene that's kind of fun that i've always thought is kind of fun and it's okay. when 
Anakin Skywalker sits in a starfighter, sits in a mm-hmm. <laughs> sits uh-huh. in a spaceship, uh-huh. and it takes off, and uh-huh. he doesn't know what's going on, and he kind of accidentally blows up the right. Trade Federation ship right. from that, the inside. Yeah, from the inside. He that's Jake Lloyd's best acting. Mm-hmm. It's the best, maybe the best pace thing in in the movie. And it's kind of fun. Like I'm not bothered by the randomness mm-hmm. of it. It's fun. He's he's supposed to be the most powerful potential Jedi. Random things could potentially happen to him. Yeah. So I that doesn't bother me. It 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 feels yay, he did yeah. the thing. I kind of feel good when that happens relative to the rest of the movie. Right. I wouldn't feel good compared to other things, but compared to the rest of the movie, my god, that doesn't bother me. That's kind of good. So that's my best scene is when Jake Lloyd uh, accidentally steals uh-huh. a spaceship and blows up the Trade Federation Cause cruiser. Because Qi Gong told him to go wait in the uh, Delta. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's a great choice. I I really um, celebrate your choice. Thank you. Let's uh, let's yeah. move into the final segment ah, of every cool of of every podcast, and that is what is better. And you'll you'll start us off. What is better? Was it the best scene in the Phantom Menace mm-hmm. or the worst scene in Star Wars? So let's see. My worst scene was the um, it's the medal ceremony, and then the Phantom Menace is the opening crawl. Um, you know, it's going to be the medal ceremony, I think, because uh, well, even though he doesn't have a medal, Chewbacca yells at everyone to fucking respect and salute these motherfuckers up here with their medals. And Luke's got a pretty, pretty boss jacket in this scene. Oh, he uh, sure does. Really boss. Like, I wish uh, we could convey that via sound. Yeah, yeah. You guys, if you haven't seen Star Wars, and you're listening to a podcast about Star Wars, I'm really not sure who the fuck you even are. Like, I, you might not exist. You might not be a real person. Yeah, so you probably don't exist. Email us. We're, we're curious to find out who you are. I mean, that's fascinating. So, yeah. Uh, award ceremony. Um wins out over um, opening crawl about trade embargoes or whatever the fuck that was. I forgot now. Yeah, I agree with I agree with the decision there. Also, the brief part of the trash compactor scene where Luke is pulled underwater by some sort of garbage monster uh, is better than the best scene in The Phantom Menace where Jake Lloyd blows up the the Trade Federation ship. It's just it's still a the Star Wars scene is still a good scene, and the Phantom Menace scene is still a bad one. I'd say that if the Phantom Menace had maybe better acting and better pacing, that would be well. Okay, so if it was a completely different scene, then it would be fine. Yeah, I mean it. It's it's uh, it's actually not a bad scene, but I don't dislike yeah. the trash compactor scene. It I doesn't just have, have charm. Something. It doesn't have the charm that yeah. No, it just it doesn't have that. So best scene is not as good as the worst scene today and on that note it's time for the podcast to end